It really happened. Now, now I feel like we have to do something witty. Mm. <laughs> Applied purple teaming with Kent and Jordan. Half I'm working on a. I'm working on a theme music. Wild West Hack It Fast with Plex Track. They make reports suck less. You know, Ryan, you probably don't know this. Ryan's been finding snippets of the pre show banter that he thinks is interesting and has been adding them to the recordings. Just like as kind of a, a show, like before, like the kind yeah. of the intro. It's like, yeah, so we're, we're giving him some good stuff today. Yeah, so that's going to be in it. Ryan, I'm sorry I failed you. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for joining us today on this Black Hills Information Security webcast. Uh, we're doing a joint webcast today with our friends at Wallace Hackenfest. Uh, if you don't know what Wallace Hackenfest is, I'm sure John will talk about it. But if you don't know, we're using Discord today. We're going to drop the link and go to webinar. This recording will be available in about 10 days if you're watching it right now. How meta is that? But so uh, thanks for being here. We have a team of people in the back end. Our hope and goal today is to answer every single question you possibly have, either live or with uh, helpers on the backside. So thanks for being here today. And John, I'm turning it over to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. So today's webcast is talking about ransomware. And this is actually a webcast that I gave a couple of weeks ago. Parts of this webcast are part of the webcast that I did with IONS. Um, if you're looking for like expert decision support, IONS is fantastic. It's like the Avengers for information security. But we had a lot of people ask about this particular webcast in the Black Hills Information Security universe, and they wanted us to talk about ransomware. And I think the reason why they wanted us to talk about ransomware is if you look at what's happened over even the past few months, we've actually seen a pretty radical departure for traditional ransomware and how it's now changing. And what I mean by that is if you look at a lot of the older school ransomware, it was pretty much spray and pray, fire and forget ransomware. It would spread automatically to as many systems as it possibly could. And if it gained access, that's great. If it didn't gain access, well, it would just try again on another computer system. Now, that has started to change because what we're starting to see now is highly targeted ransomware attacks. With these types of attacks, it actually has a human behind a keyboard launching an attack at an organization. And they're not there to just steal intellectual property, secrets, credit card numbers, social security numbers. They're actually trying to gain access to networks with a specific goal and objective of shutting the networks down and forcing those organizations to pay them. Once again, they were doing this in an automated fashion. But now they're doing it, we see, in a lot more targeted fashion against organizations as well. And I love this article. It popped up, and it said the average ransom demand for evil ransomware infection is about $260,000. And what this means is when the attackers gain access to a network, they tend to look around the network, lurk for a period of time. And I'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. And then they'll get an idea of how much they think the organization can pay. And then they'll set up the ransomware for a specific number. And to be honest, as a business owner, if somebody were to take over my business and shut it down completely, and they said for a quarter million dollars, your business can continue, I would very very seriously think about that as a solution to the specific problem that I am dealing with. Another recent news story is the global operations were halted by ransomware against Honda. There was another article that was released just a couple of days ago with Dragos that was also equally very interesting. 
But in this particular context, it actually shut down operations at Honda. So you're starting to see where it's impacting not just mom and pop bicycle shops, but you're now starting to see ransomware attacks that are starting to strike organizations that have IT security budgets like Honda. I'm going to be tying in some multiple themes in this overall presentation. One of the themes that I'm going to be tying in is the ongoing debate of open source tools and offensive tools and whether or not organizations like BHIS that do offensive security should ever be releasing these tools to the public. And my contention is that we absolutely should be and we absolutely should be testing and validating vulnerabilities because the problem with ransomware, and this is going to be kind of the thesis of this presentation, is many people say, patch your stuff, update your EDR, make sure you have good backups. And that made sense for a long time. In fact, it actually made sense for me for a long time. But whenever we started seeing more and more ransomware attacks where the attackers gained access to a network, and then they lurk for an extended period of time, they managed to put their hooks in the network in multiple different locations to make sure that they have persistent access to that network for an extended period of time. The entire calculation shifts because just making sure your EDR is up to date isn't going to do it. Making sure your systems are patched is not going to do it. And simply making sure your backups are up to date is not going to do it. It's going to take all of us to start doing a lot more preparation for these eventual attacks against our organizations that we are now dealing with. Another article I thought was kind of terrifying was this one that came up on Krebs on security. Brian Krebs actually got word that there was a ransomware infection, not a full attack yet, in Florence, Alabama. They gained access to a network, gained access to this municipality systems, and somehow the information got up to Brian Krebs that this particular city was compromised. Now, it hadn't sprung the trap yet. He went through a lot of work and effort to reach out to the people that worked at Florence. Finally, the IT director, who was actually targeted by this attack, he actually got in contact with Brian Krebs, said, thank you very much. We, uh, we were able to identify the system, work to get the system out, and we were able to eradicate. Thank you so much, Brian Krebs, for giving us a heads up. Unfortunately, a number of days after they thought they had cleaned up the attacker, the attacker sprung the trap and then demanded $300,000 of Bitcoin. So with this, it shows that the attackers are not just gaining access to a single system. The attackers are not just gaining access through automated malware. This was a targeted attack with real hands-on keyboard adversaries on the other side. And like I keep saying, this is terrifying because what this is effectively showing is these organizations are getting hit by pen test style attacks, red team style attacks, and the adversaries are going directly for locking down the city and they are trying to get Bitcoin or payments out of these organizations. This is the beginning of a trend that is terrifying. Now, it's good. We see a handful of these, but at least the attackers aren't working together. Oh, crap. They're actually working together now. So what you're starting to see with this particular article is that ransomware gangs are actually starting to work together in quote-unquote cartel-style structures, which, by the way, nothing good ever comes from those words being strung together. That means they're starting to work together for common mission and objectives. Now, some of the things I've been reading and I've been hearing from other security professionals 
is what these ransomware gangs are doing is they're under, they go through and they identify a specific market vertical. It could be small banks, credit unions, things like that. And then they go through and they start attacking and sharing information about how to gain access to those specific market verticals. And then they work through a geographic location or they just try to spray and pray and get as access to as many systems as possible. This is terrifying because it's showing organization. If you have organization, you have structure, hence cartel-style structures. If you have structure and you have a group of people working together, a group of people working together are far more dangerous than just individuals launching individual attacks. This means that they can break up the roles and responsibilities. You can have a group of people doing recon. You can have a group of people doing phishing. You can have a group of people that once access is granted, researching the organizations. And then you can have a whole nother group of people that are handling customer support. By working together and creating a structure, it allows these cartels to start attacking and taking over successfully organizations at a much larger scale than if it was all ran by one system or one or one entity. I want you to think of this in terms of like Henry Ford. A lot of attacks are solo attackers breaking into systems. That's like building a car by hand. If you have people working together in a cartel style structure, it allows you to take that entire attack methodology and turn it into an assembly line. And that means a lot more organizations getting compromised. So the goal of this webcast is to talk about what we can actually do about that. And one of the first things I would like to discuss is user training. This gets into a longer debate that has existed in the security industry for quite some time as to whether or not user training provides value or not. The problem that I have with many of the arguments that say that we shouldn't be training our users is they like to argue and say we should, we should not train users because there's always a certain percentage of failure associated with user awareness training. Their logic is you're always going to have about 10 to 20% of the organization that will fall to a spear phishing attack. People through social engineering attacks are always going to find one person who will fall for a social engineering attack. The issue I have with this logic is it doesn't hold for anything else at all. You see, if you look at something in security and you say that there's a failure mechanism associated with it, therefore it's worthless, we would effectively have nothing in security. If we look at endpoint products, there's a certain failure percentage associated with those endpoint products. If we look at firewalls, there's a failure percentage, a false negative percentage. Everything has failures. This means that we shouldn't just sit back and say user awareness training doesn't work, Therefore, we're not going to do it. Here, I want to show you something. So this is something we're going to discuss a little bit later. Open up an Ubuntu system. Here we go. Give it a second for it to start. This is the new Windows Sus... Uh, oh, no. Crap. I forgot. I'll have to come back to this. So I can't do Windows Subsystem for Linux and VMware at the same time on this specific build. Bummer. Uh, but there is a recent toolkit, and you all can run this as well, right here. And I'm going to share this in the Discord channel really quick. There we go. So now you all have it. Um, and what this is doing is recently MITRE actually went through, and they did a kind of shootout evaluation of all the different endpoint products that are out there. 
And with this, they basically said, okay, here's all the tools. We got Bitdefender, CrowdStrike, Cyber Reason, Silence, Elastic, blah, 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 blah. And then they basically went through and they said, okay, so how did each of these tools do whenever they're going up against an actual emulated attack? Now, if you look, you can see that we have a number of different attacks that are here. Uh, telemetry means it actually generated an alert. MSSP means that uh, integrated with a managed security service provider. That means the telemetry went to an MSSP, and the MSSP actually was what actually detected it. The thing that terrifies me is the nuns. So there's a, it sounds horrible, you know, coming from a Catholic school. Nuns terrify me. So the thing that scares me about the nuns is every single one of the tools had a certain percentage of techniques that were actually utilized that they did not detect. So if we go back, we saw, like, I'm just picked CrowdStrike. If we go back and we pick up, uh, just to use McAfee. Uh, if we go to McAfee, what did they actually miss? Uh, what about their nuns? I don't see that they actually came through and actually put their nuns, unless it's behind my go-to-webinar stuff. Apparently not. But you can see that there's a number of things that they did not detect in the area of credential access, reconnaissance, and initial compromise. There was a lot of nuns that they basically missed. And the reason why I bring this up is because if we're going to look at user awareness training, and we're going to say that there's a certain percentage of failure that exists, and we're going to throw it away, then basically, if we apply that same logic to EDR products, then you would be throwing away your EDR products as well. That is what we're ultimately talking about here. You can't look at something at user awareness training and give up on it simply because it doesn't work for a certain percentage. Because in security, everything you do fails at a certain percentage. I mean, hell, you look at SIMs. With a SIM, event log management, collection, and analysis, it detects less than 1% of the attacks that we are dealing with, according to the, uh, the Mandiant reports and the Verizon Data Breach reports. That means it fails 98 to 99% of the time, but you don't see people saying, hey, we should probably throw away our SIM. User awareness training is difficult. It's hard to quantify. It's fuzzy, and it oftentimes sucks, so we tend to get away from it. But we absolutely need to still be doing user awareness training. The other thing I would like to bring up on user awareness training is this just isn't an issue of training users to not click on links from strangers. It actually goes deeper than that. This requires us to also train the executives, the people that a lot of attackers will target and mimic as far as business email compromise, and train executives to be more humane and not be quite so demanding. Because many of these attackers will mimic an executive, say, open this file immediately, will transfer these funds immediately. And the reason why those attacks work is because executives actually use the exact same demanding attitude for things. So we need to train our executives as well to be okay with people gently pushing back and asking for some level of confirmation before things are done with the people that work with and for them. So once again, if we take the idea of ransomware, right, and we start trying to abstract it, we can quickly come back to the MITRE attack technique matrix. One of the things that I hear a lot, and this really started from Bryson at Scythe, was you shouldn't look at the MITRE attack technique matrix as a bingo card for vendors. We're going to talk about overlapping fields of visibility a little bit later, but you should absolutely, to prepare for ransomware, try to develop your test scenarios and your test, your testing within your organization. So it actually ties to something like the MITRE attack technique matrix, that it ties with a specific tool that can do the type of emulation across multiple 
different attack levels and parts of the cyber kill chain. God help me for saying that. From initial access and persistence to privilege escalation, evasion, credentialed access, lateral movement, execution. Because if you can take an attack matrix like this and you can look at the gap analysis that good testing will provide, either from a third party or from an automated tool in your organization, you can then start tracking that information and making sure that you can effectively start shutting down as many of these gaps as possible. It's funny because when we talk about ransomware, we're actually talking about after the pen test too. See, when you're looking at ransomware attacks and you're trying to learn from the previous attacks that other organizations have dealt with, a lot of the techniques that ransomware authors are using and the actual attackers that are behind that attack, they're actually using many of the exact same pen test techniques that we use every single day. So we can actually utilize that. And that's one of the reasons why we invited PlexTrack to come on to this webcast is because they dovetail and they tie into this very well as far as reporting and alerting and tracking of vulnerabilities, which is going to be essential. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So we need to be emulating attackers like a lot, like all the time with many different tools. This is ultimately, whenever you hear me ripping on threat intel, like my last webcast, this is in fact threat intelligence. Whenever you're emulating an attacker and you're running through what those attackers do, and you're doing something like what MITRE did, where they're running through these attacks. And in this particular scenario, they actually utilized, they actually utilized, I, I think that they used, see, they used PowerShell Empire, and they also used uh, Cobalt Strike for this. So, and I can actually get this up and running fairly quickly. Let me clone this real quick. Let's install it inside of the ADHD Windows VM. And let's get it installed. And then you can look at how your different security products did. John, can you increase the font size? On this? Ooh, yeah. I don't know if I can do that in the new terminal. I think it's just a straight text file for this. Okay. Um, but I think I can do this. Just give me a second. Give it a second. There we go. Is that better? Much. Jason, thank you. Okay. So let's get into that directory. All right. So in here, you can see that there's a number of different, there's a different script, a number of different scripts that actually exist in this. So one of the things we can do is we could just check the simple score. There we go. And what they did is they broke down all of the different tools that actually did the, the actual evaluation with MITRE, and they gave them an overall score. MITRE didn't. The author of this tool, Jason, I think is his name, actually gave them a score. Now, if I want to, I can actually run through the total misses as well. There we go. And now you can see what are all the misses that these different, these different tools, these the EDR products, we actually missed in this evaluation. The other one that I like is, uh, let's do, I think it's coverage. Well, they actually list out the different tools that were used. Um, so here's the coverage for all of the different tools and how much they actually caught. So you can see that CrowdStrike, they got a 77% coverage. You can see that uh, F-Secure got an 89% coverage and McAfee got a 67% coverage. 
So you can actually use this now in your own analysis to actually tell you whether or not your tools were actually detecting these types of attacks. But this gets into Bryson's quote. You don't want to treat this as a bingo card, right? You absolutely do not want to treat this as a bingo card in your organization. That's funny. So Alt and Tab have stopped working for this. Shut it down. Cue the shark music. Cue the shark music, right? So, all right, there we go. It released it. So that actually helps us whenever we're looking at emulation. What is the coverage that we're getting in this particular scenario with just the EDR products that they're able to detect? And like I said, this is threat intelligence because you're not just pulling out hashes, IP addresses, and domains. What you're actually capturing now is you're actually capturing the entire chain that an attacker would go through. And VMware just doesn't want to let things go at all. There we go. There it is. All right. So using these tools, hiring a tester is applied threat intelligence, where you're running through a number of tools. We'll talk about Caldera. We'll talk about Scythe here in just a little bit. We'll talk about Atomic Red Team, and I'll actually fire up and show you Atomic Red Team here in just a couple of seconds. But it's showing how your organization would identify and react to an actual dynamic attack. Now, a pen test is actually a, a red team is like a full dynamic attack where the tester and the attacker is constantly changing their tactics on the fly. But it turns out we can do a lot of emulation fairly quickly and fairly easily. There's some really inexpensive tools like Caldera, where it can emulate a number of the different tactics, and it can show you what it actually was able to execute and what it failed at. And once again, how does this actually apply to ransomware? Remember, with a ransomware attack, when you're dealing with a human, any of these techniques that are on this slide are on the table. That means a ransomware attacker can actually gain access through spear phishing. They can do access token manipulation. They can do credentialed access by brute forcing a number of different, let's say, user accounts. They can laterally move with tools like Bloodhound, gain access to additional services. But their tactics are going to shift based on the security of your organization. So you want to be able to go through and start doing testing on a much wider scale to identify what it is that you're catching. And of course, what are the gaps in your organization as well? Another tool, Atomic Red Team absolutely super fantastic tool that we have built into the the intro to security class let me show you what atomic red team looks like now generally whenever you're running something like atomic red team you're going to want to run it on a maybe a, a test virtual machine that mimics close to what you have into production has active directory ties to it or you can put it on a workstation that either has the endpoint product disabled which is okay or better yet running it in alerting mode so that you can see what the endpoint product is actually detecting as well. So in this example, I'm going to show you both of those. And this is going to be a lab that's directly out of the intro to security class that we, that we have out there, which once again costs you nothing if you want to join. So I'm going to open up my instructions here. We're going to go through the blue spawn instructions. Now, if you're not familiar with it, blue spawn is an open source is an open source EDR, which is crazy. It is by a bunch of students at University of Virginia. And we're going to go through the instructions in the lab. So I've already started up my terminal. And I'm going to open up a command prompt following the instructions here. And then I'm going to CD into tools like that. 
Once I'm in that directory, I'm going to start up Blue Spawn. Let's say that I'm going to go through and do some prep for an attack. Very similar. I'm worried about ransomware. I want to see what my EDR is actually detecting. So now I fired up Blue Spawn and it's running in monitor mode. What it's doing now is it's watching for a number of different attacks that are coming through. If it starts saying things like group policy modification, it'll actually check and dig deeper. This, if it has this little alert, it means that there is something weird that happened, but it didn't match any signatures at all. So let me show you what it looks like whenever we actually have a full hit on the. Did we lose John for everybody or just me? I lost him. He's uh, coming back. Oh, my end. How, how much have I? How much have I been out for? Uh, 60 seconds. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. I'm going. Okay. All right. So we're in the atomic red team directory. Did, did you guys see me start uh, blue spawn? Yeah. Okay, cool. So now we're starting atomic red team. So we're just following the instructions here as copy and paste is our friend. Sometimes I'm going to copy that. We're going to paste it. Now we have atomic red team. And what I'm going to do is something you should never do on a production system. I'm going to invoke all of the Atomic Red Team tests because YOLO. So now we're going to go through and click yes. I'm going to execute all of those different tests. And then it's actually going to show you the tests that it's running. Some of them will error out, and that's fine. So you can see it's going through and it's trying to execute Mimikatz. It's going through for data exfiltration. And if we go back to our wonderful little blue spawn utility, which is absolutely free, you can see that there's a number of different alerts that are being generated. No specific detections until we start actually making registry keys, make, making registry key changes. So this is kind of a microcosm of what you should be doing in your organization to identify your ability to detect attackers hitting your system and going through a wide variety of different techniques on that computer system. So right here, we can see that it's still going through. The Atomic Red Team is executing tons and tons of different attacks against this computer system. It's trying multiple different PowerShell encodings. It's trying multiple different commands that attackers are going to use. It's making registry key changes. And then you can see in this situation, BlueSpot, which is free, is actually going through and detecting a whole bunch of these different techniques that are being utilized. You can do the same thing. You can run your EDR. You can run your endpoint security product. Run something like Atomic Red Team. Make sure your EDR product is in alert-only non-blocking mode. Then you can see what it actually detected and what it didn't. So the thing that's really cool is you can see that we have the techniques within BlueSpawn that are actually mapped. So you can see which technique was actually detected, and then you can correlate that to what did the Atomic Red Team test. You can see the actual numbers here, and you can start to identify the gaps in your organization. This is powerful. And once again, this isn't, this isn't something that's specific to ransomware per se, but it requires us to fundamentally change the way that we're looking at ransomware and trying to evaluate how we approach ransomware to treating it like full adversary emulation and seeing what our EDR and our firewalls and our uh, SIMs can actually detect associated with these attack techniques. So here's an example in case my demo went up in flames, which I really thought it was going to for a little bit, but we were able to fix it, muscle on through. 
Another tool, but before I get into Bloodhound, I want to pause for a couple seconds. Jason and CJ, I don't actually have Discord up at the moment. Any questions uh -huh. so far? So many questions. Were you seeing my video? I was popping up to ask you. What you got? What are the indicators uh, that suggest that the attacks are targeted? So whenever you're looking at indicators that attack, an attack is actually targeted, is if it's not a targeted attack, usually you'll see one piece of malware hit a system and it'll execute right away. I think that that latency is one indicator. It is not a sole indicator. There have been multiple situations where malware hits. It's latent for like a week and then it fires later on. But those are generally a little bit rare. So whenever you actually have somebody that is in your network, they'll usually sit low for a while and then they'll actually spring the trap at some point later on. The other thing, if you're looking for indicators as far as an attack as an actual person, failures. If, if you look at a real determined attacker that's hitting your environment, they're going to make mistakes. Uh, let's go back to this real quick. So if we look at this, this is a lot of mistakes, right? I mean, this is an attacker running through an automated script like Atomic Red Team, and there's tons of different alerts that are being generated, basically saying exactly what that attacker did. Almost any attacker that's a real human being is going to bang their head against a wall at least a couple of times in every single engagement. This is fundamentally different than automated. Automated will fail at a lot higher percentage, but the actual amount of effort that you have to put in is a lot lower. So you'll see them banging their heads around in your environment. They're going to make mistakes. That is more of an indication that you're dealing with a human rather than dealing with automated malware as well. It's a great question. Any other questions? Oh, a few, Bob. So you can cut me off whenever. Control plus increases the font in your Windows terminal, according to many. Um, oh, cool. No, in the, uh, for, the, for the eval of the EDR. Okay, cool. That's neat. Um, I just did the Zoom instead, and that seemed to work pretty well. All right. What tool is being used for the eval of the EDR when you got all those percentages? Uh, what tool is being used for that? I'll give you the link to that tool. Just give me a second. I thought I already gave people the link to that, didn't I? Might have. Somebody missed it. Yeah, I, I don't have it up on my on my deck anymore. But yeah, it will actually be um, it'll actually be shared with the rest of the group for sure. Actually, so you might be getting this here. eventually here, but this be, because ransomware is so loud, how how come so many Avian EDR pro products are failing to notice it? How come it seems invisible to them? Well, I think that one of the things that I, I think that we need to start looking at is having a little bit of honesty with the fact that your antivirus and EDR products are not completely infallible. If we go back to, you know, the, the tool from, God, what's his name? GitHub repository. Uh, I think it was, I just shared it out. Josh, uh, Josh Zalonis tool is we're really getting into a problem where we're realizing that there are actual misses. So if I go back into that tool and uh, we CD into that attack evaluation directory and we rerun that, oh, that's fail. If we rerun the, uh, <laughs> my, my script is still running in the background. It just popped calc. This is a good indication you've been hacked, everybody. Whenever you pop up a calculator. So let's do total misses. So the total misses is basically where you can see how many of the different techniques that were utilized by either PowerShell Empire or by Cobalt Strike that these tools missed. 
And I think that this is terrifying, right? One of the things that sucks even worse about this, and this is another webcast further on down the line, is almost all of these vendors after MITRE started using Cobalt Strike in their evaluation started detecting anything that Cobalt Strike did. That's not the right way to go about doing things, but you're seeing them focus on the tool rather than the specific technique that's being utilized. So another good question. Any other questions? Real quick, is BlueSpawn free? Is that open source? Yep, BlueSpawn is free. All right, plunge ahead, my friend. So here you go. This is the GitHub repository associated with BlueSpawn. Let me share that with everybody. There we go. And then they actually have a full, full website dedicated to it as well that talks about what is their actual coverage. And I think they actually have right here, this is their current MITRE attack coverage. And this is something that's changing over time. And let's go, let's go, that's mitigations. This is what it fixes against. Here is the overall blue, scale, blue spot coverage that they're detecting as of right now. So they're not detecting absolutely everything. And to be honest, they couldn't detect absolutely everything. But this is currently what they have in the hopper of, of what they detect in MITRE. And this is exactly, by the way, what MITRE bingo looks like, attack bingo looks like. Cool. All right. So let's keep going a little bit. So let's talk about those individual techniques. So whenever we're running our tool, like, you know, we're using something like Atomic Red Team, and we're using that, that's really good at checking on an individual host. But it doesn't necessarily cover the whole lateral movement side of the house. Tools like Bloodhound are going to help you test that. So they'll allow you to go through and identify what are the different lateral movement points that exist in your organization in multiple different ways of actually doing that as well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, one of the traps of the MITRE framework is to get people to just attack specific techniques. And in fact, once again, if we go back over here to BlueSpawn, you can see that BlueSpawn is running a lot of different alerts. It's like, hey, there's something weird that happened here. But notice there's no detections for that. The reason why is it sees that there was a change to logon scripts, but the actual change to logon scripts didn't have a specific signature written for it. So there's a difference between an alert and then an actual full detection of that alert. And this is just a free EDR, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like Silence or anything like that. But it's saying, hey, something weird happened here, but I don't have an actual signature associated with it. What we're trying to avoid is we're trying to avoid the trap of where we go through and we write signatures just for the techniques that are being used in Atomic Red Team, just for the techniques that are used as reference techniques in the MITRE attack technique matrix. Because an attacker can modify those techniques ever so slightly Use that to bypass your endpoint product and then gain access to additional systems in your environment. So we really have to be careful. But I got to be honest. Look, even if you did use it as a technique kind of pool, if you went through the Atomic Red Team and then you went through MITRE and you were basically detect just detecting those things, you'd still be in a better position than you are right now with your traditional SIM for detecting ransomware in your environment. Granted, it's not great. It'd be signature-based detection, but you don't have to have 100% coverage. You just have to have a good amount of coverage. Like if you're getting to 60% of the different techniques covered, that's not 100%, but the attacker will blindly move and try techniques, and they might trip over one that you actually have a detect established for. 
So please keep that in mind, okay? So there's also some commercial offerings. There's Attack IQ, there's XM Cyber. Scythe is the one that we have at Black Hills Information Security that we use in some of our engagements. It's just really easy to set up a campaign and to execute that campaign, pull the results of the campaign back, generate a pretty report on the back end. There's a lot of cool things with this. The other thing that I really like about Scythe is it's not built around specific threat actor campaigns exclusively. You can create your own campaigns and then you can run your attack methodology with those campaigns as well. So these are great. I mean, if you're using Atomic Red Team, fantastic. If you're using Caldera, fantastic. But if you want to get it to the point where you can implement it quickly and start pulling the results, recording those results and the progress, you're going to want to start looking at some commercial offerings. I have this, it's not a theory. Oh, what the hell is a theory? If it's my opinion, it's got to be a theory. Right now, if you're looking at vulnerability assessments, with vulnerability assessments, if you go back to the MITRE attack technique matrix, basically, this one doesn't happen. Let me actually go to MITRE here real quick. If you go to the MITRE attack technique matrix, all right? If we go in here, your vulnerability assessment is basically attacking things like externally facing remote services. That's it. That's all that you're testing, which is ridiculous. You're looking for vulnerable services and uh, misconfiguration. That's what your vulnerability assessment is doing. It means that it's missing literally. It means that it's missing literally everything else in this. If you look forward over the next, let's say, five years, you're going to be seeing a vulnerability management program has to have threat emulation part of it. And part of what you're seeing with ransomware is that gap that exists where many of those organizations are doing vulnerability assessments, but they're ignoring everything else. The attackers are gaining access, moving laterally, and they're starting to encrypt volumes and they're locking people out of their network. If you're, if you're looking at a vulnerability assessment tool, I don't care who the vendor is. I love the people at Tenable. You need to start talking to your vulnerability assessment managers, uh, sales managers, and start demanding for their tools to start doing this type of technique, or at least integrating with the tools that do these types of techniques. Because we have this blind spot. And red teamers and pen testers have been taking advantage of this for about eight to 10 years now, at least. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Years ago, if you go back 10 years ago, if we were doing a pen test 10 years ago, a lot of it was running Nessus, and we, I mean the royal we in the security community, was running Nessus, looking for a missing vulnerability or plugin, exploiting that vulnerability, and then gaining access to that network. That is what a tremendous amount of pen testing was. But everyone got really good at vulnerability assessments. And all of a sudden, the amount of vulnerabilities we exploit remotely has fallen through the floor. Like we usually find like a remotely exploitable vulnerability that you can hit with Metasploit or something, maybe once every 15 months now. But we're still getting access to networks and we're still moving laterally. But you can see how vulnerability assessments, because of exploits, because of what red teamers were doing and testing and validating, drove that attack methodology into the ground through tools and through offensive tools that are being released publicly. All of us in the community and the offensive side are highlighting and striving for organizations to start doing this type of threat emulation on their own organizations. Because I believe if we can actually get to the point where we start doing threat emulation at the clip and the cadence that we did vulnerability assessments, you're going to see the ability for attackers to break into organizations go through the floor. And you're also going to see ransomware drop off a lot quicker. And that 
is one of the reasons why it's so important that every organization have the capability to be able to do some type of threat emulation on their own without necessarily having to hire a pen testing firm every single time. So Kent is on, I know I saw Kent earlier. Kent is on, he wrote this amazing tool that fundamentally changed the way I looked at offensive tools. And specifically, Kent was looking at Bloodhound output. And Bloodhound is specifically written for penetration testers, offensive people. And it's all about trying to gain access to domain controllers and getting access to domain administrators. But the output makes sense to an attacker, not so much to a defender. So he wrote Plumhound to go through the Bloodhound data and provide it as kind of a work list for Active Directory administrators on the things that they need to take advantage of. What this does is it allows you to look at things like domain users, Kerberosity users, workstation RDP, GPOs, admin groups, Srotus Path DA, and it allows you to say, okay, we may not have gotten all the way to domain administrator through, let's say, RDP, but we probably want to start putting a little bit more restriction on what workstations have remote desktop protocol enabled. So it allows you to take this offensive tool and then start looking at it from a defensive mindset. Because these techniques, whenever we're talking about ransomware, are absolutely going to be the techniques that the ransomware cartels, as we'll call them, are going to be using to gain access to your environment. So now you can start doing that testing and evaluation on your own, and you can start shutting down those doors. And it isn't about shutting down 100% of the doors. It's ultimately about creating enough doors that are locked that you can start seeing whenever an attacker starts trying to wiggle the doorknobs to try to get in or move laterally. So I want to pause again. I got here's some more output from Plumhound. And I'm sure that Kent can share a link with everybody on Discord, which would be great. You all should run it. So I'd like to take a couple more questions. So CJ, do we have any more questions, sir? Hi, Gil Marcello. I've been answering questions so fast I haven't queued them up. Go ahead. Marcello has some. That's great, too. Go ahead. Hold on. Yes, I was muted. I do have some. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. All right. So uh, one question was, do you see canaries being an effective tool against manual ransomware attacks? I do see canaries being one tool against ransomware attacks, especially whenever you're looking at honey accounts and Active Directory, Kerberosable accounts that are there, but they don't actually go anywhere, but you trigger an alert as soon as somebody tries to authenticate to it. But it has to be, if you're using deception, you have to place the deception in the proper area where an attacker is going to go. So right now I'm in the process of rewriting my cyber deception class to just a two-day class because my Black Hat class is canceled. I want to boil that down to a two-day class and talk about where to put the traps on the attacker pathway. Basically, you need to hunt for attackers by the paths or on the paths they're going to use. So it is a tool, but it is not the only tool. And I'll have overlapping fields of visibility. I'll explain that here in just a little bit with a helpful Venn diagram. Great. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a, oh. Sorry, Go ahead. Go ahead. Is there a difference in detecting the attacks when they're going very slow, time-spaced, not as many? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're looking at password spraying attacks, a lot of SIMs and a lot of user behavioral and entity analytics products they will basically look at a certain number of login attempts within a time frame, right? So if you're doing it where you're trying 100 a second, 
all of a sudden they're going to light up like a Christmas tree. However, if you have an attacker that's on the inside of a network and that attacker is running much slower or they're trying maybe one or two passwords or account password combinations per hour, that completely fundamentally breaks most of the detective capabilities. And this gets into a much larger problem that we can't get into. But basically, a lot of these tools are really good at detecting pen testers, people like Marcello, because we have a week to do a pen test and we have to move fast. And they aren't as good at detecting an attacker that's willing to wait months to move laterally in the organization. All right. Any other questions? Uh, one more. Uh, unfortunately, companies realize too late that they have become victims of ransomware. Will BHIS give a presentation of what to do when a company has been a victim of ransomware, such as cleanup and recovery best practices? I, I think, yeah, that's probably a whole other webcast. I, I will talk about paying the ransomware, and we'll talk about the difficulty in paying rent the ransomware and that entire can of worms. We'll get to that. But as far as like afterwards, one of the things you have to watch out for is reinfection. And a lot of times that's going to require working with a firm to go through and sure up your blue team defenses and maybe go through and do some adversary emulation or do a full pen test against your organization, assumed compromise assessment or otherwise, to try to make sure that as many of those doors are closed down. Because if we talk about a cartel, you may have one group that gets in, they charge you a whole bunch of money, and then another group within that cartel that attacks and reinfects you again, and they then ask for money. You have to start closing those doors down. All right. There's so I'm more. Keep moving a little. Yeah, yeah we'll, get, we'll get to the end. Here we go. So I was talking about overlapping fields of visibility. And this once again ties into the argument of whether or not we should be allowing people to write open source offensive tools. One of the problems that I have is people will bring up the argument, well, anytime you release an open source tool, you should release a Yara signature for it. That's because predominantly everyone is focused on this quadrant right here antivirus and EDR. We keep coming back to that idea again and again and again that somehow we need to be able to write signatures to detect malware. But that's not the whole story. In almost every organization that I've worked with that has been hit by ransomware, they may have had one of these things, but rarely do they actually have all of these things tied together. Very rarely are they running a full AV EDR stack with a SIM, with network security monitoring with user behavioral and entity analytics, all working in conjunction and in unison with each other. There's part of the security architecture that is missing. And there are people on the blue side of this argument, and I get their argument where they say, well, you're blaming the victim. You're basically saying here, you're running this, but you're not running these things. It's your fault you got hacked. What the hell? Yeah, there's some truth to that. But I think that the only way that we actually get better is through awareness and education. If we have the ability here within this webcast and the things that we're doing here at Black Hills Information Security, and you have the ability to start explaining that any of these things can fail. That's why it's so important for us whenever we go back to this and we can say, look, every one of these products had a failure. Every single one of them. From Cyber Reason to Go Secure to FireEye to Microsoft to Sentinel One, they had misses. And if we can start articulating that to people, saying this section right here has a failure percentage, 
This section right here with network security monitoring has a failure percentage. Your incident, uh, your event log management tool has a failure percentage. User behavioral and entity analytics has a failure. You can put in another circle. User awareness has a failure percentage. You look at uh, cyber deception, it has a failure percentage. But as you start taking these tools and you start overlapping them, and we're educating people to start overlapping these, breaking into a network that's using this properly with overlapping fields of visibility is an incredibly difficult organization to break into. So now let's talk a little bit about paying. Should you pay? This is a really big can of worms in the industry. If you pay, there's a bunch of people that say, well, you're condoning terrorism. You're condoning cyber attacks. You're rewarding criminals. And I think that that's an easy stance for someone to take if they're not the one who's looking to lose their job. If you're not the one whose business is on the line. So I don't think that we should ever judge people who pay. I just want my files back, man. <laughs> I just want my files back, right? But if you do pay, you can negotiate. And many times you can get it for more than 50% off and a couple of different tactics. One, don't contact as your own company. Try to go through a third party, a consulting firm. It will cost you a little bit of money, but usually having a third party, they're far more likely to do negotiations with a third party than working directly with you, which is weird. Once again, all of this in the security community is bad advice because you read a lot of articles by people that are holier than thou that say, you should never pay under any circumstances. And I don't, I don't think that that's right because I don't think that that's fair for people. So some key takeaways. We're talking about backups, right? And many, many articles will say things like, well, you just need to make sure your backups are solid. But we're seeing attackers now where they're basically taking advantage of the backup cycle, where they'll gain access to systems, they'll add new user accounts, they'll wait a week or a month so those accounts are part of those backups, the malware is part of those backups. So even if you try to go back and restore from the backup, they come right back into your network. It requires us, and using offensive-minded kind of thought processes, to say, how could an attacker break this? And if we have people in the community that say, here's how this can be broken, we shouldn't be punishing the offensive community. We should be saying, okay, how can we work together to make that technique not work? It drives me absolutely up a wall that the fact that many of the techniques that we use to this day are still technique, are techniques that were talked about in hacking Windows 2000 exposed. We need to start looking at how things can be broken and really starting to look at how we can actually better build the defenses rather than just constantly looking for a patch and an easy button. Revisiting user awareness training and making user awareness training be something that doesn't suck. Don't just give people documents for them to sign to say, yep, we did user awareness training. Test the principle of least privilege with tools like Blood, Bloodhound, integrating it into things like Plumhound and seeing ways that attackers, even with least privilege, can very quickly escalate their privileges within Active Directory. Enable workstation firewalls. One system getting compromised is a ransomware attack. That's no biggie. If you enable your workstation firewalls, it absolutely shuts down the attacker's ability to move laterally to other workstations. If we reduce the amount of pathways available to the attacker, it gives us a greater increased fidelity from the signal-to-noise ratio of what we're looking at for network traffic to be able to detect them as well. I also think 
that you need to start having conversations with management about if we get compromised, in what situation are we going to pay and are we not going to pay? And yeah, backdoors and breaches, we actually talk about that, right? The data is uploaded on pastebin, things of that nature. It's in this game and it's in this game for a reason because it's there to facilitate conversations within your organization. And I would also encourage all of you to start emulating attackers now. This isn't an issue of just running Nessus or Qualys. This isn't an issue of patching. These attackers are taking advantage of the exact same pathways that we've been taking advantage of in the offensive community for over a decade. It's time to start making our lives a lot more difficult. So I wanted to open it up for questions. I'd love to answer any questions that you all have. Um, as I said, this is a bit of a different take. I've seen a lot of ransomware presentations. And either A, they talk about specific stories, that's great, or B, they come back to motherhood and apple pie, patch, update, user awareness training, and I'm trying to take a different spin on it. We need to start looking at ransomware as an intrinsically like human-oriented, targeted attack kind of threat profile, rather than just automated malware hitting our environment. So I'm going to move on over to Discord here real quick. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. I've got a real complaint, and it's from me reading the SANS news bites every day. Right? It's just a flood. Ransomware, ransomware, ransomware. My frustration is even tracing the sources. So you gave a good article at the beginning where they actually got details, but I'm seeing all sorts of things about how much they paid and all this stuff. and not seeing anything about which controls fail. And it's very frustrating to me to read that stuff. Yeah, I, I, so I, that is frustrating. And I think that also goes back to, CJ, where I created the slide of the overlapping fields of visibility. Where, uh, and, and this gets into, guys, look, I have nothing but absolute love for Florian. Richard Bachelet is actually one of my heroes. I, like in computer security, extrusion detection was something I read cover to cover multiple different times. And they keep on bringing up a point, and it's a valid point. They say that open source tools are being used in attacks by evil people. How does that make you feel? And, and they generally targeted people like Marcello. They're like, Marcello, Silent Trinity was used to attack this group. How does that make you feel? I, and that's a, that's a valid point. I think that there's some validity to that. But the thing that sucks, it's completely focused on this AVEDR. It's like, oh, it's just, you know, antivirus signatures. If that organization would have had a SIM and a UBA and network security monitoring and all of it working in conjunction with each other, like you said, CJ, identifying where the control failed, then that, that failure may not have happened. And I also think it's incredibly important that we have these tools available for everybody so that organizations can test and evaluate what nation state like malware would do in their organization. Because what we're finding out isn't that Silent Trinity works. It's that a nation state level attacker can walk through the front door easily in your organization. We're missing the lessons. Yeah. And so there's an associated question with that. It said, any favorite procedural controls with respect to disrupting the ransomware attack? And what I'm hearing you saying is all of them. Yeah, because a real pen tester, a red teamer, is going to try multiple different ways to gain access to an environment within the time that they're allotted, right? I mean, if, if you have like a three-day pen test, and Marcello can attest to this, if you have a three-day pen test with very little attack surface or a four-day, you're very tight window. An attacker can continue to launch that attack over the course of months. So, yeah, you need to make sure that those controls are actually tight as well. Take one, Marcello. Uh, I got more than one, but... Uh, all, all right, right let's so, go. 
So uh, thoughts on leveraging the breach coaches as that third party provided by cyber insurance policies. Breach coaches? Is that like an external service? I, I thought I was hoping. It sounds like a consultant. It sounds like a consultant, but I, I would say this. You know, that's something we do at BHIS, right? And we should probably save that for after the webcast whenever we talk about these things. But we absolutely do blue team services. That's what Movix does. That's what Kent Jordan do, where they basically sit down with the company and we start walking through. Here's all the different things that we check for. These are the things that you need to have in place specifically to make our lives hell. And we work with organizations to do that. You can do that either as a blue team service or a red team, assumed compromise. There's a whole variety of ways of approaching it. guess i'm curious on how many companies are actually testing their backups on a regular cadence or what does bhis recommend for companies on testing backups so with backups you should be testing backups at least monthly and that means that you're calling for random backups to come back i still say tapes because i'm old you're requiring these backup tapes to come back and then you're restoring and you're making sure that that restore process works so you should be doing that at least monthly Unfortunately, I would say that probably less than 10% of organizations actually do any cadence whatsoever of testing their backups at all. I, uh, that was a requirement back in the DSKID 6.3 days. And I used to have a checklist of things I had to do every week, every month, every quarter. And restore a backup was absolutely critical. Oh, guess what? The right head on the tape, it broke a month, three months <laughs> a month ago. ago. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. I still believe in tape. I believe in I, tape. I tape is forever. How much of an impact is zero controlled outbound traffic model What's is that? Player? Web proxy only, no default route out to internet DNS. Oh, so DNS is locked down too? Well, I, uh, no, I missed that question. No default route or internet DNS resolve, etc. They're just listing a bunch of techniques, it sounds like. Zero. If, if you can completely air gap your network, you're doing good, right? But as CJ and I can tell you, having worked with some of the most secure networks on the planet, there's no such thing as a completely air gap network. Uh, years ago, CJ and I were out in Chantilly at a great big blue building. And we were, um, there was a project that we did. Um, I can't remember who we did the project with, where we were in a classified network that was air gapped. And we were basically trace routing out of that environment. And we found like 23 egress points leaving that quote-unquote air-gapped network. That was terrifying. So even whenever you talk about air-gapped networks, we've worked on some of the most secure air-gapped networks in the world. It's just a matter of time before somebody connects it to something that it shouldn't be connected to. So you need to be testing and evaluating that con uh, consistently. Jason, Jason appeared, which means the end is nigh. Yeah. The end is nigh. Yes, uh, we will be ending the official part of the presentation and moving into what we consider post-show banter. And also, uh, we have PlexTrack with us there, so we're going to talk to them for a few minutes. But, John, any final words on ransomware today before we close the official part of today's webcast? I just want to say thanks very much for coming and hanging out. Uh, we're all completely humbled and blown away by by you all like hanging out with us for the pre-show banner, coming on for the presentations. And uh, I, I just really do want to say thank you. We're, we're constantly grateful for all that you're doing. And we hope, we hope that your networks are getting more secure. And if you have any new people or you're new in security, check out our intro to security class. Check out our training. Uh, we're trying to make affordable training and make it, make it work for people. And do it remote. Make sure it's recorded and it's accessible to everybody. 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here for today's uh, Black Hills Information Security webcast, along with our friends from Wildwest Hackenfest. Uh, that ends the official part of today's webcast. We're going to essentially go. And we're back. Okay. Crazy. All right. So oh here's what happens. Uh, if you've been here before, we know some people have to leave and go to work or, you know, something like that. Other people can hang out with us. So, John, go ahead and pass your banter. Oh, yeah. So I uh, did want to let everyone know that at the, the, the kind of the standard disclaimer, we're, we're going to take one of our, our, our sponsors of Wild West Hacking Fest. We got Daniel here from Plextrap. He's going to be talking about his reporting platform. And if you don't want to hang out, fail. But if you look at everything that I just talked about, folks, I just created a hell of a lot of work for you. <laughs> uh, so the question quickly boils down to how do you actually track that integrated into your plan of actions and milestones? So if you want to bail, we'll see you at another one. If you want to hang out and talk about reporting and stuff with Daniel and us, pretty please do. Because I know Marcello loves talking about reporting uh, yeah. as well. You know, I go Marcello was going to plug his GitHub sponsorware thing. Yeah, let's talk I, about that. I can plug it. I wasn't planning to, but I'll definitely plug it. I, I think we should ask. What, ask what the question, crowd wants. Right? Do you want me to kind of set it up for a little bit before I pass it to you, Marcello? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. So here's the deal. Marcello has a problem, everybody. Mar Marcello has a problem that he habitually codes. And Marcello habitually codes offensive tools. And Marcello gives these offensive tools to the community so that you can test all the crap I just talked about in your organization. And whenever you have people like that, that are giving back to the community and doing that, is there any way that the community can actually give back to them as well? So Marcello had this idea of how we can actually start doing this. So Marcello, I'll throw it over to you and talk about, well, get some more coffee and then we'll bring in Daniel. Yeah, sure. So my idea initially was that I would set, I would do the sponsorware model. So if you're not familiar with the sponsorware model, it basically revolves around creating exclusive content for people who sponsor you, but with a twist in the sense that if you reach a target number of sponsors at a, for a certain project, it becomes publicly available. Okay. So the reason why I chose this over something more like something like a commercial product is because at the end of the day, there's always the possibility that if we if you reach that target number of sponsors, it becomes it becomes publicly available. So not only do I get some compensation for all of the time that I get put that I put into these tools, it, it is like hard to explain how much time it does take and effort to make some of this stuff. But also the, oh, the open source community, information security as a whole benefits at the end. So I think it's, it's a vastly superior model than trying to just stick a huge price tag in front of something that I make and make this like huge paywall that only a certain amount of people can afford with like uh, companies and stuff. Instead of like a $10,000 product, it's $15. Like that's the thing. It's $15 a month. You sponsor me, you get access to the to the stuff initially, and then if you reach a certain amount of sponsors, it becomes publicly available. So that that's that's the that's the that's the model that I'm going with. It's not my idea. I completely stole it from an article that I read on Hacker News, but I just adapted it to the information security community. And I'm pretty sure I'm the first cool guy that has attempted to do this. So this is gonna be a, a wild ride to say the least.
Well, we've already had some really intense conversations about it, and yeah, yeah but I don't know. We, we we've got it. We've got. I, I always use the SSL thing, open SSL libraries. Like everyone ripped on open SSL. There's all these vulnerabilities. They ran code checks. They ripped on open, and we found out it was like two guys working out of their basements who like hoarded cats. Were the only two people that were working on open SSL, and we took all that work for granted. Yeah. So, thank you, Marcello. All right, Daniel, you ready? I got my coffee here. I got my yeah. Coffee. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, guys. And, and I, I, I just want to set it up. He's with PlexTrack. It's not just pen test reporting. I think I look at it from my perspective, Daniel, and I'm like, oh, pen test reporting. But I think it's a lot of kind of plan of actions and milestones and tracking of vulnerabilities and all those different things. So what possessed you personally to take the one worst thing out of everything that we do in security <laughs> and say, hey, I'm going to start a company around that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I lived this on both sides of the fence, right? So I, I was a pen tester and hated writing reports. Then as a blue teamer and actually building out as a security director, building a blue team, wanting a way to aggregate this data and truly wanting to focus on the actual attack lifecycle of like, these are the, these are the most sensitive things in security that we need to be focused on. And how do I, how do I report metrics on these over time? So just wanted to start building something to help with that whole process of making it easier to write reports, making it easier to collaborate during the engagement, as well as be able to take those results and immediately start tracking them to, to remediation. So just kind of eliminating all that waste in that whole, in that whole workflow. And, and then you have real-time metrics from like a director's perspective to see like trends and things like that. So yeah, just wanted to help solve some of these pains where it's like, I didn't see anybody else doing a good job of, or at least, you know, from my perspective of, of doing as, as good a job as, I, as what I wanted. So I guess I kind of took the crazy pill and dove in. <laughs> so I've got, a couple, I've got a couple of like pet peeves that a lot of these tools don't have. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go through the John pet peeve list really quickly if, if you're okay. ready. Okay. You sure. ready? ready? Okay. I absolutely freaking hate tools that I, that I can't take screenshots and drop it right in. Marcello knows this, right? I, I hate it if it's like, I got to take a screenshot, save it as a file, and then I got to upload it. Can you do screenshots directly into FlexTrack? Yeah, absolutely. I, am I able to share? Because I could, I could show that off. Yeah, we could give you, we could give you a share. I don't know how to do that. That's okay. We need, we need, uh, we need, hold on. I might be able to do it. Let me try it. And I did it. it should be, there you go. Yay. Okay. Let's see. Let's see which one I'm actually going to, okay, share my main screen. Fantastic. So you guys can see this, right? Yep. Font's a little small, but yes, we can see it. Okay. Well, I'm on a, on a bigger monitor. So, so this is kind of like a skeleton of a report in FlexTrack where you've got the different findings, right? And like, you know, one thing that's cool is we can support videos and screenshots in the report, but anywhere we have a, like a narrative, you know, I, I stole this from the offsec pen test report template there, you know, just to kind of show you. So if you, you come in here, I'm just going to do a screenshot of your, of your face here, John. Don't don't take offense. So I just did a copy there on a uh, on a screenshot, and then I just pasted that straight in, and there you go. So I didn't have to save that to a file or anything like that. So that's that's one nice nice thing about FlexTrack, you know that so some of those small pain points that save a bazillion amount of time, right? Okay. The other question that I have is: there is no way in hell ever under any circumstances that BHIS could ever throw all of its pen test data out into a cloud service. Do you all have like the capability for running it and hosting it uh, locally? Which I know a lot of funding companies are like, no, it's got to be cloud. It's got to be cloud before I give you money. So, do you have the ability for like on host or on-prem hosting solutions? Yeah, that was one. Of, I mean, 
totally understand and and was the that was one of the primary missions that I set out when I first started is like you know need to be need to be sensitive to wherever this is going to be hosted so yeah you can host on prem and it all deploys in docker so it it sets up really nicely i know you're going to have a docker training here shortly so you know it deploys in docker containers and complete completely stay isolated we're very committed about not you know having any connectivity out out and in you know from those from that system Okay. Now, what another question that I wanted to get into, and this is something that we've been talking a lot at Black Hills Information Security. When Mubix came on, he brought in kind of this 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 idea of what we need to be doing is not just tracking it for a specific customer for metrics, but we we would like to see broader trends and analysis metrics and tracking that across all of our different customers. And I think that that would apply for individual organizations as well. So what types of metrics, and there it is. Okay, so can you go, go through like the analytics and the tracking and the metrics that you provide there as well? Yeah, so so we have we have a series of metrics and we're continuing to produce more. I mean, this is like the, the main focus right now. You know, we've got the core product for reporting and, and tracking. So really what you wanna be able to do is, is track that over time for like benchmarks against like how often I mean, how often are things getting reported? How often are they getting closed? And then how quickly, what is our trend in terms of how quickly we're closing out, you know, critical vulnerabilities or high vulnerabilities and eventually be able to set benchmarks on those so you can actually see. So, so we have a trending analysis that, uh, you know, shows like here's how many, how often things are getting opened and closed and then closed out. And so you can, you can, you can, you know, compare against different customers, right? So this can serve as a client portal. So like, you know, your customers could log in and they only have access to what you give them access to. But, you know, you could compare against, you know, a few different customers just to start seeing, you know, those trends. And you can also in our findings uh, analytics pages here. I've got a lot of demo data here in the in the app, but, uh, you know, you can start to say like, OK, I want to see I want to see all that information just for, you know, the wireless hack and fest client. And so you can start to compare and contrast, like, you know, which reports and which customers are the biggest, you know, risks, you know, and 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 one other nice thing that I'll also mention is you can also do it by like a client tag. So, like, let's say you have all your clients tagged as healthcare clients that are healthcare clients. You can you can select that tag and maybe we've got it in the demo app here, too. But something like this, where now you see all the all the clients tagged with healthcare. And you can, you know, start to compare and okay. contrast how they're doing, right? So I've got to ask, what what are you using on the backend database for this? Backend database is a couch-based database, right? So NoSQL built for built for data analytics, right? So yeah, very cool. So the other thing that that I, I, I absolutely abhorred with a lot of these tools is you're kind of stuck with their template. Like you can't really customize the template and you know make it work with your company. So, is there any way that you can customize the template or upload a template, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So you'll see here, like I, that report that I had up the other the other screen. You know, we have a default template, but this is all a custom template that we built for ourselves, just as the default export. Mm-hmm. So we can take any Word template that you have, uh, put it into the Plex Track. It, it uses the Jinja two library language in you know, python library so you know you can basically templatize everything out so it's kind of a set once and forget it and and export mm-hmm. into your template so this is all this is all variable replacement based data right okay so you see this was before i took your screenshot so but it, one nice thing is it 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 formats the screenshots to the width of the page so you don't have to spend 
gobs amount of time trying to uh, format your screenshots. Uh, I don't know if that's a pain okay. for anybody else, but it was always for me. Yeah. <laughs> so another question I had, you know, we talked about screenshots. Uh, are there any other artifacts that you can associate? Because one of the things that we like to do is if we do a Nessus scan, you know, we want to make sure that that report is available to the customer. If you run any of the tool output, you want to make sure that that artifact can be captured. What types of artifacts can be associated with that report and maybe exported from that report as well? Yeah, so we have this, we have this um, within a specific engagement, right? We have this artifact section where you basically, it's just a, basically like a free form upload, you know, so pretty much, I mean, if you wanted to have the additional media there as well, you know, Nessus scans, you know, like you mentioned Scythe, we do integrate with Scythe. And so, you know, we, we really love the MITRE attack matrix and, and, you know, the whole concept of purple teaming to us is having that collaborative nature and being able to continuously assess against those types of controls. So you could put, you know, any, any kind of artifact that you want to just store as an artifact of that engagement, you can keep it here. We do parse those scan, scan results as well. So if you wanted to, like, in fact, this report actually shows, hey, you know, this was, you know, this, this was like an SS scan result, you know, then you can add your additional stuff. You can get the scan results here as well. Um, so, so there's kind of a, you know, it's kind of multifold of, of where you want to put the information. Okay, very, very, very cool. So you can upload and you can incorporate that. That's great. Now, if I'm an executive, like I said, I, I apologize. You know, I look at it from a pen test company's perspective. But if I was a CISO, what would be some of the dashboards or things from the analytics side that you would recommend that like your CISO analyze and be watching for? Yeah, I, I really think that this trending in analysis is really important from the CISO perspective. This, this starts to kind of get you the, the idea of like, how are, how are we progressing over time? Right. I mean, a snapshot is, is OK. You know, you can get that snapshot and you can compare and contrast. So, you know, against the different clients or business units. But the trending analysis is really going to show you like, OK, we've, we're, we're starting to see an increase in reporting of like critical vulnerabilities. You know, who are the who are the culprits of that and how do we dig in to find out what's going on there? So so I would say the entire analytics dashboard is really good from the CISO perspective. But really getting that trending uh, analysis is is vital. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I've had some people asking, like how they can get in contact with you, but I'll throw this. If you could go into the chat or sorry, the questions in GoToWebinar and just type in PlexTrack and questions, we will get you set up with Daniel and then they can kind of give you a full demo, get you walked through. So just type in PlexTrack and questions so that way you don't have to share it out on like, uh, you don't have to share it out on, you know, Anything yeah. That everyone can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just questions so we can see it directly. So, if if people did want to set up a demo with you, what's the best way for them to actually go through and and talk to you a little bit more about it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you can you can you can request a demo from our website at plextract.com/demo. Just fill it in, and we'll 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 get a, a time set up. And and you know that includes a trial. So, I mean, if you want, you know, if you, if you like what you see. You know, there's a lot of a lot of packed functionality. It's really we really are geared from the practitioner's perspective of being able to, you know, someone report, you know, sat in the in the or said in the Discord channel earlier, like that kind of that report as you go functionality. Um, and that's really what our concept is: is like you know, you can you can put findings in published or draft status. So as soon as you think it's ready for the customer, you can publish it right away, so they can come in and start working on it while the rest of your report is still hidden. So a lot of the a lot of the things that we feel and we've seen over an engagement lifecycle 
really save time and make everybody more efficient. Um, but anyway, sorry, plextract.com slash demo or reach out to me directly, Dan at plextract.com. Okay, very cool. Now, uh, are there any other like... Oh, did I lose John? Are you guys still there? Yeah, no, I think we all lost John again. Okay, yeah, we're still here. Johnny froze. John? John? Come John? back. Come back. Uh-oh. That's all right. It shows he's talking. Uh, does, uh, does your tool have Jira integration? It does. So we've got this whole, you know, we've got this whole Jira cloud integration where you can you can sync it with your Jira with your Jira cloud instance, and then when you're back in a uh, in a finding, let's see, let's go back to that. Sorry, my my uh, my connection dropped. I apologize for that. Oh yeah, yeah no worries. So like you know, the I nice thing the drug is testing is kicking in now, right? <laughs> you know, if if you can you can you know you can make status updates directly in the platform, but if you have the Jira integration, you have a little button here that creates a ticket in Jira. And, and the comments and status sync back. So as it closes out in Jira, it closes out in PlexTrack. And this is what updates in real time for the analytics dashboard, which is which is what's nice from a CISO perspective is like CISO doesn't have to go grab analytics from multiple spots. They just know that if it's being updated here, what they see is in real time. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna hand it over to questions from people on Discord. So would you all throw us some questions that you have? if anybody has anything those new authentication everyone's ripping on me losing connectivity <laughs> it's yeah, Dakota. what do you want i got a question from jay jay rich on discord asking do you think it could replace simple risk simple risk i'm not i'm not i guess i'm not familiar with that what is simple risk do you guys know we can google it there you go <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's like a kind of like risk. a kind of like a open source risk management tool. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have we have a lot geared. You know, we 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 position this as as part of that living risk register for the blue team, right? So, you know, we have an assessments module where you can take questionnaire based assessments as well. So, for those GRC folks, you know, like we just put in some CMMC stuff. You know, and you know, basically, the goal is to have everything kind of related to to what you need to be prioritizing at the highest level, you know, to make sure that we're moving the needle forward, both from a, you know, well, primarily from a security perspective, but then, you know, my mission is always that you you have a good security program, a diligent security program, the compliance comes as a, as a byproduct of that. Right. Yeah. So as far as output options, can you also output the results in like CSV as well? Yes. Um, Let me go back to that report. So you, these are the uh, these are the export options. You can do your custom word template. We can ex- export to Markdown, CSV, and then our own format. So like in the concept of like you have your own isolated private instance that you're not exposing. One of your customers is also a PlexTrack user. You can export in PlexTrack format and import that report into their instance. Very cool. Go back to see if there's more questions. Marcello, CJ, are you all getting any more questions? Much. Yeah, here we go. For instance, C-levels and C-types want PDF, Word doc with executive summary. However, the ops team wants something that speaks to them. And the finding the remediation is going to be different between the two. So can you speak on how export works to provide this data to multiple different groups and levels? 
Yeah, that's the beauty of having kind of like multiple templates, right? So you can you can have multiple templates and multiple document export templates. So whatever you're going to be exporting, say you just create an executive summary template in a Word doc, and then you say, you know, this one's for engineering, this one's for ap- application dev, right? So you can have multiple templates and export the same report into into one of those templates, and and then you can deliver it to your audience that way. Or even store it as an artifact, you know, because this is like a living thing, which is a mission, you know, was another reason I did this is that I hated delivering a report. And then six months later, it's kind of dead, right? I mean, there's, you, you know, like a lot has potentially changed. This is, this is ongoing, right? And, it's, and so you can store the original one as an artifact over, you know, this is what it looked like originally. And then you know, now you can see what it looks like today. Very cool. So Florian asks, would Plextrax also integrate with on-prem Jira as well? We can do that, yeah. So it's it's more of like uh, understanding what the API version is that we integrate with. So yeah, that's a possibility. Cool. And then Guy was asking, is there a way to assign remediation steps to each role? I guess you, you mean so aside from... Yeah, like specific. So whenever you're looking at, uh, like, let's talk about remediation steps. There are certain remediation steps, and I'm just guessing to his question, that can only be addressed by the network team, like making firewall rule changes. And there are some remediations that can only be done by the desktop support team. So I know that you could probably give the findings and you could assign them, but can you say that this specific remediation step is exclusive to this role and other people that always get it? I think I got, I think I'm paraphrasing that question. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think, you know, in, in some answers, in some respects, yes, in some respects, no, right? So, I mean, you can assign a specific asset at the asset level to, to different users, you know, as opposed to the overall finding to a, to a, maybe like a group, right? So you can, you know, you can have a specific asset assigned to a user. Um, we are, we are in the process of getting more group oriented type things where, you know, if, if it's assigned to this group, you know, these somebody in this group is, is going to be responsible for fixing it. Yeah. Very cool. Got some more questions coming through. Yeah, I, I think I got that one right. So basically, a guy was saying network people close X number of items, firewalls complete 30 percent of their tasks. So you can see how the remediation is going by group as well. And that that's kind of a key point. I know you're, you're getting into some kind of weird areas, but whenever you're looking at, let's just say, um, an organization that has offices in New York City and in, in Houston and in Los Angeles, and you can say, well, this group is actually closing out tickets you know, much faster than any of the other groups, sometimes that can be used as leverage. And I think one of your earlier graphs showed that between the time between initial vulnerability and then closure, I think you can track that information just from what I've seen already. Yeah, exactly. So if you're using this at the enterprise level, what what our enterprise customers do is is they actually break those groups into different clients. You know, so a client might be the Denver office or the network team. And then you can compare and contrast, you know, through that through the trending and analysis, you know, who's who who are what what departments are doing well and what departments aren't. Right. You know, and and that's and that and it's horrible that you got to do that. But that's an incredibly powerful tool. If you have one group, and I, I always recommend this for working with companies that are multinational, and you have like a CISO, I say, well, work with the group you work the best with. Get things addressed with that group and get things going at a good cadence. And then you can basically start rolling it out to the rest of the groups internationally. And you can constantly point and say, well, the people in Ohio and Scranton 
wow, they do a really, really good job. So maybe you can work with them or figure out what they're doing. Sometimes that helps quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Daniel, do you guys do uh, CSS or are you, are you doing CCE, common enumerations and all that scoring? Yeah, so we, we have, oh, we, we do, you know, like we, we will bring in all the scores that come in from a scanner and then, you know, we support CVSS and CVS3 and then just this kind of this generic score, right? So that you can put in whatever you want and you can, you can, you can customize this and templatize it out. Right. So one thing I guess I didn't show is like, if you wanted, if you say you have a bunch of like miter attack techniques that you consistently test against, right. You can just, you know, you can just select the bunch that you want to bring into the report. This is all the verbiage is already there. And then it brings these in. Notice it brings them in in a draft status because that's our default. But then, you know, this is just taken from the Atomic Red team, right? I mean, that's, that's where this is from. But, uh, you know, you can bring in whatever you want. Um, and so whatever scores you want to associate with that out of the, out of the box, you can. So this gets into the, the kind of bingo card thing that Bryson talks about. But I think it does work for gap analysis. Do you actually have the full MITRE attack coverage with the techniques where it shows the actual matrix with what what is currently outstanding issues. Great question. Not yet. So we have this right. runbooks. We have a runbooks module that's in development right now. I, I like to tease it, but you know that's it's the next step, right? It's it's not every activity is a finding, you know. And like what you were showing in Blue Spawn, you know, had my you know had my juices flowing because like, oh yes, this yeah. is what you know, this is what gonna, is oh, going to go into our runbooks stuff, right? Dude, I saw that, and I was, whenever I first saw that, I was like, holy crap. I, I want to know what they're doing in the background. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it looks like they're using Attack Navigator, and then they're just doing color codes. But uh, the way it integrated and the way it was so clean was so cool. But I hate to play that bingo card game, but it's, I think it's, it's an still illusion. Well, it is an illusion, but I think it's a useful illusion, right? If you're sitting here talking to management, and you're like, here's our coverage. It, it's not just a bunch of findings. It's literally that mapping. So yeah, and 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 one thing that we do we do highlight in in our analytics section is that you can you know you can you know you can tag things based on those attack techniques, right? And start to get like okay, or maybe the the major one, right? So uh, like the different tactics, and start to see like I mean I have many findings here that are associated with that, but like you know start to be able to compare and contrast like for lateral movement you know, how many findings have been identified in lateral movement and, and who are the culprits, right? And so yeah. the, the ability to slice and dice that data is really valuable. Yeah, so you got too much data in there. I, I just hate confusing the map with the terrain. Yeah, True. yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's it's interesting because there are a lot of overlapping techniques within the different, and, and just because I was able to execute something in the Privesk, you know, module or tactic, I'm sorry, doesn't mean that I was able to get there first, right? And so uh, it's complex. Yeah, it's, it's, tra- it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now we're getting a bunch of questions like, do you map to PCI DSS, NIST, CIS, top 20, O1, ISO 2700, GRC yeah. mandates? And I think honestly, if you're going to that point, I know Guy is putting a lot of it in, and, and Michael was talking about compliance and audit. I'd recommend looking at audit scripts and those Excel spreadsheets that we've shared in the past. But if you go to auditscripts.com and then their, their critical control spreadsheets, they actually have a master mapping. And yeah. what I've had to do in the past is I've had to go through our pen test reports and then pull the master mapping and cross-reference it there. Unfortunately, that was, that was a manual task. 
Yeah. And we have, we support, like you can build your own questionnaires based on a framework. We have some of the basic, you know, from the, from the, from the different organizations like PCI, we just incorporated CMMC because that's a, that's a hot one right now, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the mapping of the different controls is kind of a different beast, but that's where the tagging in PlexTrack can really come into play. Like every, every finding that is associated with a framework gets tagged and so then that that can serve as your mapping from the different controls. Sean's asking for things like, are you have the playbook kind of thing for OWASP, say? That's coming like in the runbooks as well, right? So like where you can list the methodologies. When you're creating a report, you can, let's just say, you know, a new report. You can you can select which methodology you are using, one or more, right? So you know, but this this is just metadata at this point. The runbooks. Is, is is where it'll it'll have the specific checklist. You can create an assessment today that is the checklist of all the things in that OWASP methodology or something like that. But runbooks will be a, a better fit for that. All right. To wrap up, Daniel, any final words for for today? No, I just you know love love the educational component that you know you guys put on. I mean, this is uh, you know part of our heart is dear to our hearts about just moving the needle forward and making sure that we're getting the work done right and eliminating as much waste in that process as we can because we're all short on time. Everybody's short on security talent, and so how do we make their lives as easy as possible and and boost their morale? Right? I mean, make reporting suck less. You know, makes you feel a little bit better about <laughs> you know, getting to the end of an engagement. Right? So. So that's our mission, and I just appreciate you know you guys having me on. All right, Absolutely. fantastic. Well, once again, we want to say thank you very much for sponsoring Wildwest Hacking Fest. And uh, I know we, we got another one coming up, so I'm sure that you'll have some cool stuff for us next time uh, we yeah. get together and do this again. All right? Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone. Later. And if you do need a pen test, you know where to find us. Yep. Bye. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, we do pen tests, everybody. Ah, oh, shoot! <laughs> Later. So somebody was asking me when we can have a country version of strings in memory. So, like, music. So I don't know. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see if I can actually do this. All right, so who asked the uh, country version was Mookie. All right, so let's try that. I don't know. All right, so. Okay, here we go. Early one morning while making the rounds Took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down Went right home and I went to bed Stuck a love and 44 beneath my head Cruised forward and I grabbed that gun Took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run but I run too slowly Overtook me down in Juarez, Mexico Laid in the hot house, taking the pills. When in walked the sheriff from Jericho Hill. He said, Willie, your name is not Jack Brown. You're the dirty hat who shot your woman down. Oh, yes, oh, yes, my name is Willie Lee. And if you got a warrant, just don't lead it to me. I shot her down because she made me slow. And I was her daddy, but she had five forms. So there you go. There's the country version of Strings of So Nice. Very good. Very good. <laughs> this is not oh, the best. Man. <laughs>
I don't know how to top that down with a Discord tutorial. Uh, <laughs> That's the only way you could go through it. What about that VHIS drug test policy? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just, is overrated. Just sing it. Jason, yeah. sing your tutorial. Speaking of the Discord tutorial, it's time for us. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We need backup dancers. <laughs> Daniel's like, what did I walk in on? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, it, it's like this every week. Yeah.